Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organisations uh, Thrive podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of John uh, Stapleton. Uh, welcome, John. Good morning. Great to be here, Julian. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, brilliant to, to get to know you. And just going to tell our audience a little bit about you. Uh, you're known as the authentic entrepreneur. Uh, you've got over 30 years experience in pioneering new uh, sort of food sort of categories and establishing and growing consumer-led businesses uh, both in the UK and the US. I know currently you're based in Germany. Um, you were the founding member of New Covent Garden Soup, those fresh soups that we love and dear in, in the UK. And then you also set up a business in the, in the US, a fresh soup business called Glencoe Foods. Uh, you've been the co-founder of Little Dish, uh, which is all about sort of fresh natural meals for kids uh, sort of one year plus you are an investor speaker advisor and a mentor to many businesses so you've got a wealth of experience a wealth of um challenges over that sort of span and um I just, first of all before we go into the conversation today about sort of building resilience in in a pandemic is i just want to ask what, what do you love about what you do <laughs> And how much time do we have, Julian? <laughs> um, no, uh, that's a great question. It really is. And, and, and it's it kind of like, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you, you tend to, you know, get a, mom, a momentum and you're carried along on a, on a wave of enthusiasm. And, 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 and sometimes you don't have time to think about that, that question. You know, you don't have to have time to think about why you do this and what you like about it. Because it's also consuming. It's, it, you're almost kind of thinking, how couldn't I love it? It's like, it's just so, it almost defines me at times, you know? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel that. Um, but of course, I'm not, well, I was going to say I'm not an entrepreneur anymore. Uh, and maybe, maybe it's like religion. I don't know. Once you're an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur or something. <laughs> but, but, but actually, you know, I set up three businesses, like you said. So I spent 30 years of the first, what was it? The first 30 years of the 35 or however many years I've been doing this was setting up and running my own businesses. Um, what I do these days is, and you touched on it, is is I, I do a bit of speaking and I, I do a bit of mentoring and I do a bit of business advice and I in, invest in businesses. But I guess the thing about it is I've got my finger in so many different pies and different businesses. Um, and while a lot of it is, you know, or some of it is the same in terms of, you know, you're, 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 you're building a brand like, like New Common Garden Soup Company, you know, you're, you're building a brand. You're designing a new product. You're trying to launch it. You're trying to sell to the retailer and then market to the consumer and all that. So that is kind of similar. But every every business is different. Every product is different. Every target group is different. Um, and you know, when we set up New Common Garden Soup Company way back in 1987, right? Well, there's got to be things different between now and then, right? And there has been every five years. There's been a, a, mm. a revolution, a change. You know, online has come. Uh, never existed before uh, when we set up soup, for example. So a lot is happening all the time. But the, and, and I kind of thought when 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 I set up my own business, you get you because know, you get to do everything when you're an entrepreneur. When you start out, you do everything because it's only you, right? The guy mm. called Andrew Andrew Palmer had the idea at Newcomen Garden, and, and and he and I set, set up the business. But but we were co-founders, and then at Little Dish, we set up, I set up the business as well. Uh, but again, I was I was co-founder of Little Dish. And the business in the states, I was co-founder there too. So there were two of us, but ultimately you, you end up doing everything yourself between the two of you. 
And I used to think that that means that you've got great variety because you're doing everything, right? So you're covering every possible mm. angle, doing everything. And after a period of time, you bring some people on, of course, and you delegate, but you're still doing an awful lot. Until I stopped doing it, I started becoming an advisor and a mentor and, a, and an investor. And then I started to realize, because when you're an, a non-executive, you can't do stuff. You can't get in the way of the people who are doing the doing. Effect. Do you, you find that difficult? Do you find that difficult? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. For the first while, I really did because I'm a kind of a you know people would say to me, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Because you're a very sleeves up, rolled up kind of guy, and and I want to get stuck in, and I do enjoy getting stuck in, and I guess most entrepreneurs do because that's the nature of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. But 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 the comparison between doing it myself was it's not actually a very broad experience. It's a very narrow experience because it's just one business. It's a very deep experience. It's like a big, long tunnel that keeps running, keeps going down and down and down and down. And that's where you get a huge amount of stuff to do. But the, but the experience is not broad. The experience is quite narrow. And I only realized this when I started taking down and exposing myself to other businesses and do things in different ways. And that experience is very broad. But by definition, you're not doing stuff because you can't do. You're spreading yourself too thinly. You're doing very little. You're advising and you're encouraging and you're providing support and direction. So it's very shallow. So it's not deep. But it's broad and wide, mm. and that variety, getting back to your question, that variety is what really gets me going because it's great to see all these things happening in different environments. You know, mm. different businesses, like I say, yes, things are the same in terms of you making product and selling it and people are eating it and consuming it, yeah. but every business is different. Challenges are different. People yeah. are different, uh, and, and that is great. So I love getting involved in all this variety and being involved in different areas and seeing what's new coming over the hill, if you like. And that keeps me keeps me involved, keeps me relevant, and keeps me young, I think, to a certain yeah. extent. So that's kind of like my new passion. The last five, six, seven years, whatever it was, wow. has, uh, has, has taken over. And, and does that do you, do you still feel that sort of entrepreneurial sort of spirits when you're in those meetings and in those contexts? Because obviously you do like to obviously grab hold of things, and now you're thinking a bit more broader and a bit more wider and influencing people in a different way by mentoring and everything else. Do you still feel that buzz of a entrepreneurial ideas and sparking and sort of can we go after this? Can we go after that? What about doing different doing things differently? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, like to be fair, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. You can't, you can't, you can't shake it off. It's a, it's, it's, it's something that follows you around. You have a very inquisitive mind. I mean, the the, the thing about it is, I started off way, way, way back. I studied science. You know, I was an industrial microbiologist, believe it or not. And then I studied food science. So I wasn't prepared for entrepreneurship at all. I was prepared for science-based thinking, which is very logical and structured and. Mm a theory and you spend a lot of time figuring out if that theory works whereas in the entrepreneurial world you don't have time or resources for any of that you mm. just have a bit of intuition you, you try and test the intuition and make sure it's true but you get on with it by trialing an error the trial and error and, and you therefore try things and if they don't work you pivot around and change something new uh, and you find out over a period of time what works and you do more of that and you figure out also what doesn't work and you do less of that and that's pretty much you know the, the curious mind of an entrepreneur. Um, so I, I so I wasn't prepared for that when we started off New Covent Garden. I was like a bit of a fish out of water, really, when we tried to put soup in a carton for the first time, and everybody was telling us it was a crazy idea. Don't even think about it. You know, you're, you're mad. Uh, and we were kind of thinking, well, actually, I'm not sure if we are mad, um, but we didn't know for sure. So there was a lot of new fears and a lot of new things we were trying. Mm. And you need to have a certain, I think, curiosity and a certain. Um, bent for that kind of approach and a certain mm -hmm. 
approach to managing risk because it's a hugely risky environment that, that you're in. You know, you're, 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 you are trying new things. You are trying things that have never been done before and everybody's telling you you're wrong. So you really have to have the courage of your convictions, something I, mm. I say a lot. And so that is intoxicating, if you like, that kind of environment. So mm. I very quickly um, and then haven't looked back ever since. So you can't leave that 30 years behind and sort of become no. a different person. You know, you, I, I still leverage all that experience when I'm, when yeah, I'm absolutely. now. That's good. And obviously, you've had 30 years of experience. And I'm sure in those 30 years or 35 years uh, of managing, creating businesses, uh, you've had uh, numerous of challenges and difficulties along the way that has uh, probably enabled you to be, I guess, I would say more resilient. And, you know, we're facing and we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, we're still in the challenges. Yes, we're thinking more optimistic about this year vaccines are available uh, but there is still some way to go and i you know i want to get your thoughts on how do we i guess continue to to keep going continue to build that resilience um and because there's still i think some way to go and you know not to be uh, down on things but but yeah. to be realistic about things as well so what are your thoughts on that that's a great leading eating question because I, I absolutely agree. I think I, I think you know one of the things entrepreneurs are good at is recognizing that things are tough, um, but they don't run away from them. They they kind of go you know tough is tough is fine because that's what I'm here for, um, and 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 I, I think that's where we are again right now in terms of this pandemic. Um, but I, you know resilience. I just want to kind of debunk this word resilience for a bit because I think it's overused. People throw it into conversations a lot, and I'm not sure if they really know what they mean. And and, it's, and that's okay, but 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 that, then that takes over. And what really is resilience? And and I'm trying to find it, I suppose, in a minute. But but you know, global pandemics aren't the only time to have resilience and and to build resilience. So global pandemics don't come around very often, thankfully. And 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 you know, we have we have faced adversity before. You know, I I'll use that word adversity uh, because I think I think that defines almost what an entrepreneurial world is like. But but of course, COVID is different. You know, it's been a global effect and it's been accelerated. And it's not industry specific, um, you know, and it's happened so, so quickly. Yeah. So all these things have been kind of forced upon us with lockdown in terms of mm. consumer behavior. So it is kind of unprecedented. Right. Um, because it's been so accelerated. But 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 I think smart entrepreneurs observe these changes. Right. And and, and they will reposition their business or, or even pivot their existing business to be at, at the front of the pack to capitalize on the shift of uh the shift in consumer behavior. Mm. I use the word consumer behavior because I'm in FMCG or, or food, you know, food and drink. So they're consumers for me, but customers really is, is what they are. And, mm. and the, 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 the anecdote I'll use is, remember those empty shelves we had back in March and April, right? Now, many then believe this was due to panic buying. And of course, there was a bit of panic buying with, with, with toilet paper and stuff like that. But, but the majority of the out-of-stocks weren't really due to panic buying. They were more to do with everyone and I mean everyone, adjusting their pattern of purchase slightly. So everyone was buying just a few more items every time they visited the store. You know, they're putting mm. a few more items into their into their basket. And if every shopping trolley has a few more items in it, guess what? The finely tuned stock replenishment system that the grocery chains in particular in the UK yeah. have are going to be caught out. And the result is empty shelves. Now, the point about this is that it may only be a 5% change in people's behavior, but everybody's doing it. And if yeah. everybody's making the change, that results in a significant shifting in, in consumer behavior. And the businesses who notice this and figure this out for their particular industry are the ones who, who you know, are going to do well and going to be well situated to drive an advantage. 
from, 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 from the current uncertainty we have. And I think that is a part of, that is a part of what resilience is about, you know? And I think, I think Gillian, the other piece of it is, is, is what I call is, is, is stickability, yeah? Um, yeah. Let, me, let me say what I mean there. You know, you know, history, if you like, has shown that periods of significant upheaval and stress inspire reinvention to overcome, I guess, the constraints and to overcome, o- o- overthrow the old assumptions um, and, and achieving new solutions to new, to, to new challenges. So, so some of the biggest companies in the world today were created during or soon after the, the, the financial crisis of 2008, right? Yeah. You know, this is like Instagram and WhatsApp and Uber and Airbnb, all started by ambitious people who otherwise would probably have ended up working in, you know, a big corporate or a bank or a management consultancy. Uh, but, 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 but the economic climate wasn't suitable for that, so they went off and decided to set up their own business. And, and 2020 hasn't been like any other, has not been like any other year, right? Um, and you know, the, the shock unleashed by the, by the pandemic has, has, has changed the world. But organizations and businesses have scrambled to kind of adjust or, or you know, to overcome these challenges. And, and they innovated new capabilities and new products and new services in, in a matter of days and weeks, more than the usual months and years that, that it would have taken. So all of that sort of innovation and pivoting and change so almost, almost the, the challenge has, has propelled people. And, you know, I, I know just, just an, an example of like ways of working, isn't it, where people for years this whole flexible working has been sort of banding about whether people can work from home, flexible working, and literally within a week people had to send all their staff home yeah. and create that and then and I'll hopefully encourage that way of working, the trust issues that, that were was originally faced with all that, um, and so it's almost forced it and created that 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 change. I'm not, that's not that's not innovation in sense, but it's a sense of a behavioural change or something yeah. that needed to be prompted. So actually, challenges and you've probably experienced in your in your in your businesses actually make you potentially better if we approach it in the right way. I guess isn't it? And uh, this is exactly. Thanks for bringing me bring me back to the point because because this is this is exactly right. It's like you, you can either react well in many ways, you can, but there's two extremes. You can either react to challenge and uncertainty and adversity and and setbacks by going, oh bloody hell, the world's had to get me, and this is a bad idea. Everybody was right. This won't work, and you know I just go back to my day job. Or you figure it out and say, well, you know what? I'm trying to do things differently here. Um, I'm I'm trying to you know, of course I'm going to get resistance, and of course it's not going to be easy. And I'm probably going to get more than my fair share of setbacks, but but I'm not phased by that, because that is what an entrepreneur does. You know, they they root up trees and they crash through walls and they're swimming against the tide and they're being disruptive. So if you're being disruptive, guess what? There's going to be resistance to that disruption because the state. Just to interrupt, sorry to interrupt. Just going back to your your soup um, business, the New Covent Garden, and you said you had a lot of resistance and you were told that wouldn't work. Um, and I, I presume they were probably from influential people were telling you that it wasn't just like your friends. It was probably people who perhaps, I don't know, you might admire. I don't know. How did you overcome that sort of, not just resistance, that negativity to keep going with something, which is, it was a new thing, it was a completely new thing in the UK. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, don't forget, this was 1987, so it's a long time ago. So this 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 has been around for a long time, right? And I, I think a lot of your maybe listeners or or, or, or viewers are gonna ha- you're gonna have to put their heads back or minds back to a time where they probably weren't around. 1987 is quite a while ago. I can remember very well. But but you know, no, uh, all liquid soup was in a can. That's right. Uh, all liquid soup. If you want to buy liquid soup, you had to go 
to a restaurant or make it yourself. Uh, or you got to go to the store and go to the soup aisle, right? And go to buy it in a can. So when we set up Newcomer Garden Soup in 1987, we were told, especially by the so-called experts, right, that it wouldn't work. We, we were told, first of all, we were told you will kill someone. Yeah, we were told you would kill somebody. We were told that, you know, soup had to be sterilized. Um, and, and therefore, there's no point trying to put in a carton because a carton isn't sterilized. A carton is just, it's just fresh, right? Um, but we wanted the soup, funnily enough, to taste of the ingredients we put into this in, in, into the carton, not the process used to give it whatever it was, you know, 18 months, which is what a can was. You sterilize. When you sterilize something, you, you, you kill the nutritional composition and you kill the flavor, really. And you have to put other flavors in to compensate for that. So we, we really wanted the product to taste like the way it should be, like you like if you make it at home, but obviously a convenient solution. Mm. And then also they said consumers will never find it. You know, there's already a solution in there. It's in the store. It's called the soup aisle. Why would you want to you know reinvent the wheel, guys? It's it, it works. Don't mess with it. People are never going to find soup in the chiller. Uh, it's a crazy idea. And you know, consumers loved finding soup in the chiller because it spoke so much of freshness, mm. right? And then the final thing was the carton. They all said it was the carton is really stupid. They actually said that. Uh, you know, basically, who are these know, people? Are these just sort of, these are, experts? Yeah, they were experts, really. Uh, but don't forget, they were living in the conventional wisdom of the day. And and you yeah. know, the guys who said we will kill somebody, they were very, very, very reputable food scientists. The people I went to university with, right? They, they were they were looking at the reasons why you put soup in a can, and that is to sterilize it. So you know what? The conclusion, therefore, is if you don't put in a can. It won't be sterilized, won't be safe. You, you'll probably kill somebody. So, mm. so, and, and then, you know, consumers will never find it. That was a very non-entrepreneurial way of doing things. So there's already a solution. Why, why, why think of something new? Mm. And then the carton is stupid point. Well, well, that was kind of like, you know, back in those days, milk went in a carton or maybe maybe fresh juice. So they were thinking, why would you want to put a savory product with bits in it? In a, it, it makes no sense. Consumers won't understand it. It's what they said. But of course, consumers love the carton, and it became, uh, you know, iconic. So, so just going back to those, all that, I mean, you've, yeah. given, you've given me a number of negative things. I wouldn't want to launch a, a soup in a carton, to be honest. What what got you through that? Because this is, this, is, this is the essence of resilience. What got you through that to keep going and pursuing that and to make a success of it? Because it is a success story. Well, I think two things, really. And one was kind of a stroke of luck. One was our own naivety in that we, and, and arrogance as well. And, and I mean, a point, of, a side point here is any successful entrepreneur has to have a, has to have a certain degree of ego because if you don't, uh, you, you won't ever overcome all the resistance you get. And, and when I say ego, I mean, I don't know what I mean, but I mean kind of ego with a small E, right? Yeah. Ego that is in a positive sense, it gets you up in the morning with some really real motivation to do something. And, 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 and you have to have that ego because you're going to get knocked down so many times. You're going to get told your idea is stupid so many times. And you have to kind of be able to not, you know, have a thick skin and not bother about it and say, um, well, actually, I know better. <laughs> um, and, of course, we didn't. We didn't know better at all. But what we did do was we had a lot of what I call, which is the second point, a lot of consumer insight. So you have to have the personality to say, I'm not going to listen to the naysayers. That's great. But also you have to root your logic and the reason you think you're right in some reasoning. And that is what I call consumer insight. So you've got to go out there and find consumers and say, what do you think of this idea of putting fresh soup in a carton and putting it in the chiller and it only has eight, 14 days life, but it tastes really good. Oh, you know, interesting idea. What does it taste like? Great, let's taste it. So we did a lot of consumer 
um, interfacing, a lot of consumer analysis to figure out, were we the only two guys who thought this was a good idea? Now, clearly, that was never going to be the case. But were there enough people out there to justify building a new factory? Because we had to build a new factory. Nobody made fresh soup. We, we, we couldn't outsource it. We couldn't say, guys, can you make this for us? You know, mm -hmm. The answer is, you know, how big do you want the can to be? We're going, no, 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 we, we don't want a can. So the whole idea, you know, we dreamt up a process that we actually patented. We patented the process to make fresh soup, would you believe? Because wow. it was a novel process. So all this stuff we had to do ourselves. So there was a lot of, you know, mountain climbing here. But we were, you know, back to our na naivety. We, we thought there's got to be enough people out there who are going to be really, you know, impressed by and enjoy the quality of fresh soup when they eventually get to taste it. So mm. we have to figure out who these guys were. Like you always have to define your target market when you're building a brand. That's so important. So we had to really understand who it was we were targeting and design a brand to attract those guys in. And mm. once they bought the product, it really weird seeing something like this in the chiller where it didn't belong back in 1987, 88, 89. Mm. When they bought it, the key thing was they took it home and they loved it. It knocked their socks off. So the brand promised the consumer this was going to be a great product and the product absolutely delivered it was a great product and then people come back and buy it again and then people buy it more and it gathered momentum and then we began to you know prove to the naysayers that we were that, that we were right but of course there was an element of you know a red rag to a bull if you like so many people telling us we were wrong and it was a crazy idea and us kind of thinking I don't know. I think there's enough people out there who to make this work. And we stuck with it. And by the early 90s, we had the whole market to ourselves. And it was, it was, uh, we had a tiger by the tail. We were, we were, we were managing other problems then. We we're managing demand problems then, trying to keep ahead mm -hmm. of demand. You know? Brilliant. So if you bring that, all those knockdowns you face, and obviously that's just, that's just one example, yeah. and bring it back to today and some of the challenges that businesses are facing right now, um, I guess. With all your reflection and experience, what sort of advice would you give them today if they're facing, whether it's a challenge of customers, a challenge of, 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 of employees, yeah. or just general business slowing down? What advice to try and keep themselves going, that motivation to keep going and to push through? Sure. And 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 by the way, so what, whatever I say is rooted in my own experience. So it's so it's it's all sort of you know reinforced lessons I've learned. And also when I say things, I'm very conscious that they sound so much easier when I say them, but going and doing them is an awful lot different kettle of fish. So you know, something's easier said than done. But I do actually believe this. And 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 you know, just coming back to root and where we are right now, 2021, and and you know, we we everybody thinks it's a you know. It's all doom and gloom. And, and um, I was talking to a lot of people last year, or excuse me, well, it was last year, last week when it was New Year. And everybody was saying, oh, happy New Year, happy New Year. And, and people said, oh, thank Christ, it's all over with, you know. At the end of 2020, I never want to see it again. The back of that year, now we can look forward to 2021. And I think there's a whole bunch of emotion here, of course, that, that, that people want to leave it behind and move on. I, I get that. But actually, uh, what's changed? Uh, nothing. And actually, if anything, it's getting worse. And I, you know, put this in context, but it's probably going to get worse and a lot worse before it gets any better, right? Why would it suddenly change on the 1st of January? You know, um, some people have, you know, are wondering what our leaders are doing in terms of managing this. But irrespective of all of that, it probably is going to get a lot worse through February and through March. And then hopefully the vaccine will, will take place, but uh, will take hold and will and we move through, right? So it's easy to think that it's all doom and gloom. You know, we got a second lockdown, we got infections and deaths rising. This is really serious stuff. It's going to be, is it going to be worse than March or April last year? Um, and, you know, 
death increasing, lockdown having its effect, and then business. And then, of course, what's really going to happen in 2021 is a recession is going to come come along, right? So uh, why are we so happy about 2021? Of course, we have to be proactive. We have to be enthusiastic. We have to be optimistic. But the point about it is that with resilience, it's not all doom and gloom. The environment is pretty desperate, and we are going to have a few more difficult months. And we are surrounded by uncertainty. We're surrounded by challenge. We're surrounded by chaos. Mm. The point is that all of these things present a huge opportunity. Yeah. So what we need to do, I think, is recognize the uncertainty in, uh, sorry, recognize the uncertainty and the adversity that exists right now. And we need to look for more opportunity in the uncertainty. And we need to embrace adversity. And that might sound counterintuitive. That, that's the bit I was referring to. That probably does sound kind of counterintuitive. We need to embrace adversity. But, you know, don't forget that adversity surrounds us all. That's what I was saying earlier. For entrepreneurs, we, we probably have more of our fair share uh, of adversity than mm. most people because it stands to reason, being disruptive, et cetera. And, and, you know, there's been a huge explosion in startups in the food and drink space in the last couple of years, and, and that, will, that will certainly continue. Our purpose-driven, disruptor, challenger brands are doing, are doing a great job. Mm. An entrepreneur's life is defined by obstacles, or, or maybe better, it's, it's defined by finding ways around obstacles. Mm. And as entrepreneurs, we encounter more obstacles and more challenges and more setbacks than most. Um, so it's almost like we're quirking adversity. So, so some, I'm not a great person for, for, for management quotes, but a guy, I think it was called Lou Holtz. He said, show me someone who's achieved anything worthwhile, and I'll show you someone who's encountered ad- adversity. And I really like that quote because it's so true. And I think the corollary is also true. If you're not putting yourself out there enough, mm. you're playing it safe, aren't you? And, you know, who achieve anything exciting or innovative or successful by playing it safe. So, so regarding adversity, I say embrace adversity because it's yeah. not a strong sign that you're onto, onto a good thing and you've discovered something that nobody else has. Mm. Like I said earlier, as long as your idea is rooted in strong consumer insight and you know your target market, make adversity your friend. And mm. don't worry you know, who you're – or don't worry that you're meeting a lot of adversity all the time because adversity often justifies and validates you have a great idea and you're onto something. Right. So that, I say, is, is, is pretty much what we need to recognize um, today in, in the current world where we're facing a huge amount of adversity and even more uncertainty. And do you think we can take a bit of a and this is about mindset shift sometimes where we can actually see these challenges at the moment and uh, we've all got them in some some capacity and see that as a way of either propelling us into a new direction, propelling us into a um, uh, achieving more or even using it as a, a competitive advantage in our space do you think that's a, a way to sort of shift it slightly differently as well yeah yeah no i love that competitive advantage reference because because i i i think that's really what it's about and and, and by the way when i when i keep saying and because i'm conscious of your of your audience might not all be entrepreneurs and when i keep saying entrepreneur i i don't mean to be talking around people i think it's more of an entrepreneurial spirit so yeah. it's not just about people to set up their business also entrepreneurs <laughs> Right? A lot of entrepreneurial, like-minded people who work in large corporations. Um, and, and, and I guess what I'd say is that you can be an entrepreneur in a large corporation, and it sounds like a bit of a, a bit of a contradiction in terms. And, and um, uh, I've got a question for you, actually, because I think this 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 um, this defines the point. So, if you have five frogs sitting on five logs, right? So, if you have five if you have five corporate frogs sitting on on a log, right? And five of them decide to jump off. How many are remaining? 
And before you try to figure out, the answer is, well, five. Because there's a huge difference between deciding to jump off and actually jumping off, right? Uh-huh. Whereas if those five frogs, if they were entrepreneurial frogs, they'd, be, they'd, they'd have gone long ago and have tried something and they have probably got into some difficulty along the way and maybe have been swallowed up by whatever, uh, you know, uh, some other larger animal in the pond. Uh, <laughs> but a, a lot of them would have made it to the edge and would have, would have, would have figured out I would have been stronger because of it and would have then realized, okay, that's how you, that's how you survive in this environment. So I kind of think that is a difference sometimes between 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 corporate and entrepreneurial. But I think a lot of entrepreneurial-minded people operate in corporates, and they're the entrepreneurs. And I think mm. I think I think you know smaller businesses are much more agile. But mm. it's all about it's all about having the entrepreneurial attitude. And that is coming back to what I said at the beginning: that recognize that it's tough. But that is what you signed up for. You know that mm. that that's the nature of the of the job. But but don't let that fact get them down. It's it's just mm. normal. Focus on on the opportunity. So, so today there's lots of you know global uncertainty, right? And and, and people are getting desperate and think of things are out of control. But I think mm. the smart approach is to be entrepreneurial minded and mm. accept it's tough and, and, and no one's going to do any favors. But I think the key point here is take control of your own business destiny, right? Yes. Have calm observation, recognize uncertainty, embrace adversity, and seek out the opportunity and turn this uncertainty into a competitive advantage. Coming back to your point. And I think the competitive advantage is really is really interesting. Because it's not that you need to be the best in the world. You just need to be better than your competitor, right? Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's not that you need to have everything perfect. You just need to have it perfect enough to be better than, you, better than your competitor. And then mm. figure out things along the way that'll, that'll, that'll make it even better. I know, do you remember the, the, the famous, uh, or whether it was famous or not, I can't quite remember now. It was Billy, Billy Connolly, that was it. Remember Billy Connolly's, one of Billy Connolly's fav- favorite jokes, Julian, about, about the, the, the lion in the Serengeti plane? Yeah? Let, me, let me just tell you that, because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a silly joke, right? But I think it's a really interesting way of, of explaining this competitive advantage piece, because, so here it goes, right? A pair of journalists are, are filming lions on the Serengeti plane, right? And one is the tripod open with his camera, and the other guy is the sound guy or whatever. And, 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 the, and the lions are far enough away uh, at the moment, you know, not to be bothered by these guys. But gradually the wind changes and the lions pick up their scent, right? And, and the lions then kind of nonchalantly meander in the direction of the cameraman. And they gradually begin to, begin to pick up pace. And the cameraman decide, right, we've got a problem here. One cameraman slips off his shoes and pulls on a pair of Nikes, right? And the other cameraman looks at him and goes, you don't think you're going to outrun the lion in those, do you? And the other guy goes, well, I'm not so much concerned about the lions. All I know is I'm going to outrun you. <laughs> and, and, this, and this is the point. This is the competitive tension that's here, that I don't yes. need to be the world's best sprinter. I don't need to be a lion to outrun a lion. I don't, need to, I don't even need to outrun a lion. I just need to outrun the other guy who's not going to be as prepared uh, for this situation. So you need to be better than your competition, better prepared than your competition. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is really the competitive advantage. So, you know, you, you need to figure out where your consumers have gone to or yeah. what their, coming back to the very beginning, what their behavior mm. change is, mm. what's been forced upon them because of, of lockdown, how they're operating, how they're buying stuff. Are they buying new stuff or they're buying stuff differently? Mm. That must be the market. And you, again, need to get into pole position to be in best possible place to su- mm-hmm. supply that new need to that new consumer requirement while your consumer is still trying to, excuse me, while your, while your competitor is still trying to figure out working the old business model and still trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to, how to get to the consumers as if nothing had happened. And I think that, for me, is resilience. 
That for me is being smart. And that for me is turning uncertainty into a competitive advantage. Brilliant. I really like that. And that's a real mindset shift. And I think it's it's getting back to that, you know, being in control of what you can control, um, embracing that adversity, and then using that to then look for those competitive advantages, those opportunities, uh, and just going after it. I really like that. Um, I, I, I thank you for your time today, uh, John. Uh, just uh, uh, have you got any last sort of words uh, before you just tell people how you how people can get in sort of contact with you? Yeah, listen, anybody with any interest for anything I've been saying during the course of, of the last half an hour? Yeah, I mean, look me up on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way to do it. There's a profile there. Um, I, I I tend to keep my my kind of speaking piece separate from what happens on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is more about my businesses and stuff like that. And I have a website which talks about, you know, what I talk about generally in the context of speaking. And that's very simply my name. So it's mm-hmm. www.johnstapleton.eu. Uh, so you can you can and, and you can email me on that as well. Uh, what is it, John at Stapleton.eu? So it's all very straightforward, uh, really. So anybody have any comments or interests or uh, disagree with anything I've said? If that in particular, I like that. Come back and tell me if what I've been saying is complete rubbish, and we have a good chat about that. Um, always open to to challenges. Always open to new ideas. And the final thing, uh, really, in the in the context of where we're going with this, Julian, is is I, I love learning. So you know, I've never stopped learning. Uh, there's always new opportunities and new things mm. and challenges and you know, people say you've been around for 35 years you must have seen it all well i've seen a lot but i clearly haven't seen it all and, and new things come up all of the time which are intriguing or challenging so anybody got any 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 ideas there any topics you want to talk about um be happy to exchange ideas and views brilliant well thank you for your time thank you for your passion your energy and uh, your wonderful insights you've shared today much appreciated not at all. Delighted to be part of this, Julian. Take care. Have a great 2021. Thank you. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organisation to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.